0: But let me read to you First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. If you ever ask this question, what is the will of God? Well, you're going to find out what the will of God is tonight, right here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. And we've been looking at question 98 in the Shorter Catechism. And the question is, what is prayer? The answer is, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. You know, one of the things that I ask myself, where does such an answer come from? What is prayer? Where does that kind of an answer that's so well-constructed, so inclusive of everything that's in the Bible, where does that come from? Where do we get an answer like that? Well, we get an answer like that from men who framed the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catechism, and the Larger Catechism. To be able to write such full answers, we find men who gave themselves to what's called systematic theology. Now, I don't know where I got this definition. I'm sure I got it from some really good book. But systematic theology is defined like this. It is the discipline of setting forth an orderly and coherent manner, the truth concerning God, the truth concerning God's relations to the world, the truth concerning God's relations to man with the goal of producing a presentation of all doctrinal truths from all the scriptures under one comprehensive system. So, when you think about systematic theology, what you're doing is you're trying to take the Bible and you talk about a topic and you look at the whole Bible and you come to a definition of what prayer is from the whole Bible. Now, in systematic theology, there's seven divisions. And when you talk about prayer, prayer is found under the division known as ecclesiology. And everybody said ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church, right? ecclesia means assembly or it means church. So prayer is part of the means of grace that we find in the church. So when we study the doctrine of prayer in a systematic way, we're going to pull all these different parts of prayer together, in order to come up with this wonderful definition. I think the best way to think about how they do this is just think about what we do on Sunday morning and Sunday evening normally. Sunday morning and Sunday evening normally, we study a book of the Bible. We went through. We're been. We're going to go back to Philippians, but we're working on officers now, and we're going to go back to 1 Samuel. Uh, right now, we're working on prayer, and I think. One of the things that's always good to do is leave off the book and go do some studying on prayer. I can't, get, I can't ever think that's not a great idea. But we'll go back to First Samuel. But what do we do normally is we go through a book, verse by verse by verse, and we see a doctrine and we see what prayer is in Philippians. And we see what... Prayer is in 1 Samuel, and we see what prayer is in other parts of the Bible. And then these guys, these really smart men in 1643 to 1647, they all get together, 122 of them, and they, for four years, five years, they sit there and they work really hard, and they come up with these beautiful answers, comprehensive answers from all the scriptures. So, for instance, where does this statement like this come from? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, for things agreeable to his will. Where does that come from? Well, let's just think about some of the things we've studied. In 2 Samuel 7, God tells David, I'm going to make you a dynasty. I'm going to make you uh, to have a dynasty on, on your uh, throne. Somebody will sit forever. And we know he's talking about Jesus. And what does David do? David says, do as you have said. <laughs> he lines up his will to God's will. We see we studied Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah what not to pray for. He told Jeremiah what to pray for. And Jeremiah didn't pray for certain things, and he prayed for those things he was told to pray about. We've, we've talked about Elijah. Elijah is one of the ones the men have been talking about in, the, in our study on Saturdays. Elijah tells Ahab it's going to rain. And then instead of going, well, I know it's going to rain, I'll just go sit on my hands. That's not what he does. He goes up to the top of the mountain. He, I, I'm kind of uh, kind of envious of his flexibility because he's able to squat with his head between his knees. And I used to be able to do that. But he can do that. And he does it. And he prays seven times. He sends his, you know, his friend, his servant there, to go out and see if there's any rain coming. And finally he sees a hand coming across the sky. It's a dark hand. And rain is on the way what is he doing there? Well, he's not, he's not becoming inactive. He's not being sluggish. He's going and lining up his desires with God's desires. And we could say so many more things. We could go and we could look at the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus tells us to pray like this. And then he lays out all these principles, all these things are, that are in agreement with God's will. So that's where we get a line like that. Prayer is offering up our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. Another thing. In the name of Jesus Christ. We're to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, where does that come from? Well, that comes in John 14, 14, and John 16, 23, and 24. And there's a lot of folks. (laughs) We can talk about who they are later. There are people who have heartburn over the Lord's prayer in regard to praying in Jesus' name. Some people know what I'm talking about. And they say that this is a prayer we're not to pray. Because they leave it out. Well, here's the thing. Here's how we need to think. When Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, He's not doing systematic theology. He's teaching. He's preaching. And when a person, when, when your preacher preaches on repent and believe, he may not tell you everything the Bible says about repent and believe. He may tell you what the text says and move along. Jesus wasn't doing systematic theology when He was saying, pray like this. But he will later say, pray in my name. So we and I, we, you and I, we are to pray in Jesus' name. And we're to use the Lord's Prayer. And as we've studied with, with the men, we are never praying without Jesus too far from our thoughts, are we? We are always praying with Jesus in our arms. We always understand it's by gen- the gentleness and mercy of God that we approach God the Father. So we pray in Jesus' name. We pray with confession of our sins. And we have text after text after text. David teaches us this. Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Daniel chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 6, the prodigal son, Luke 15, the publican, Luke 18. All these men teach us how to pray, and I'm leaving some out. So each one of these phrases is derived from text of the Bible. Very intelligent, very godly, very gifted men coming together together and working hard to produce a wonderful document called the Confession of Faith with these catechisms so that you and I, praise God, don't have to start from scratch. (laughs) Somebody says, well, I just believe the Bible. Well, friend, (laughs) what do you believe about repentance? You've got to start doing theology if you start defining something. And these men have done some really, really hard work, and I'm so glad it's already there for us. Well, now we have the final phrase in front of us, and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. And one of the things we think about when we come to prayer, there's two things to think about, prayer and praise. Everything is prayer and everything is praise. Everything is prayer and everything is thankful acknowledgement for God's mercies. This is the pattern In the Bible. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Did you hear that? I told one of the girls, I said, Your dress kind of looks like splat. Naomi's dress kind of looks like paint splat. And prayer is sort of like splat. There's all these things. There's all this stuff going on in prayer. And sometimes we say prayer's kind of messy, but prayer—we have some things. And preachers—they try to pray a certain way when they pray because they want you to learn. But even preachers kind of pray splatty prayer sometimes, kind of me- because it's messy. Think about it: prayer is uh, request, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving made for everybody. We pray for ourselves, so there's petitions and there's thanksgivings. Psalm fifty, verse verse fifteen. I started laughing when we started reading, finished reading Psalm fifty there one through fifteen because that was part of the sermon. Call upon me, and I will answer you. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you, and you will honor me. Call upon me when that's I mean prayer when predicament in the day of trouble. There's a promise deliverance. I will answer you, and you will. Praise me. You will honor me. You can see that. I could just, man, we could really go to town on those four Ps. There's a predicament in the day of trouble. There's you to call on the Lord in the day of trouble. God promises to deliver you, and you will praise Him. Prayer and praise, prayer and praise. Now, let me give you those two points as we come to the Lord's Supper. Petitions should never cease. And praises should never cease. Petitions should never cease. Occasions, guys, occasions that prick us to pray. Occasions that prick us to pray. Circumstances that summons us to pray. Psalm 32, 6 speaks of mighty waters rushing and rising. And prayer of the godly man. Psalm forty six, the earth is quaking, the mountains are falling into the sea, the waters are roaring and foaming, and you and I we need to be depending on God in prayer. Psalm fifty, verse fifteen, pray in the day of trouble. James five, sixteen, is anyone among you suffering? Then when? Then pray. Circumstances call us to pray. Occasions call us to pray. There's times when we feel overtaken by sin to the point of, one writer says in the Bible, heart failure. We feel like we're going to fail. Our hearts are going to fail. Sins are going over our heads, and these are all things that prick us to pray. One of the things I shared with our men not long ago is, is there was a woman. She, she uh, gave herself too much fast-acting insulin. She'd never done this before. She said, Pastor Mark, this is the first time I've ever done this. I made this mistake. I can't believe I made this mistake, but I made this mistake. I called poison control. They told me to go to the ER immediately. So they all get in their car. They take the two babies. They go to the ER. Her mom and her mother and father-in-law pick the babies up, and she stays at the hospital for five hours with her husband. And she was fine. But this girl, she's a little bit, uh, she contemplates things. And so she goes home, and she starts really, realizing that she, she could have died. And she said, I just don't know what to do with my feelings. I don't know what to do with my fears. And I told her, I said, God would have you use this as occasion to think about dying. God would have you to use this as occasion to draw near to him. I quoted for her as I was walking out there by my retention ditch. I quoted for her Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2. I said, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. And here's the reason, because that is the end of every man and the living person takes it to heart. I said, you need to take this to heart. You need to think about this. It's not fun to think about. This is like going and talking to the insurance guy, and he's telling you, you know, well, if you die, she gets so much money. And if she dies, you get, I mean, nobody wants to talk about this stuff. But you need to talk about this with your husband. You need to talk about this with your mother and father-in-law if you want to. You need to talk about these things, and then you need to draw near to God. I said, those little girls sitting at that table while you feed them, get the Bible out and read it out loud to them. Pray over them with your eyes open. Do some things you've never done before. Pray and walk with God in ways you've never known before. And live 60 more years. Go on and live. But use this opportunity. This is what we mean when we say occasions prick us to pray. We also hear James saying in James 5, 16, Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. So we get the balance. We're going to come to that in just a minute. But you and I on occasion, these occasions they are to prick us to pray. So, second, commandments prick you to pray without ceasing. See, occasions prick us to pray, but the commandments of the Lord prick us to pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, always keep praying for all the saints. Jesus says in Luke 18.1, He tells His disciples a parable, and then He tells them this, and He says, so that you will not lose heart and always what? Always keep praying at all times. This command, it kind of rubs us up the wrong way, doesn't it? I would rather have a few occasions, but I have a command that tells me not to stop praying. And Calvin writes this, he says, For however much after our heart's affairs may prosperously flow, an occasion for happiness surround us on all sides, still there is no point in time where our need does not urge us to pray. <laughs> what need can we have when everything is flourishing? Well, this is how Calvin answers it. No matter how good things are, no matter how great the harvest is, No matter how free from adversity your life happens to be, you and I need to pray at all times. And here's an example. Give us this day our daily bread. You and I have daily bread. You and I, we have an abundance of income. You and I have food and plenty of things, and all our property seems to be going up in value. Our personal training business might be going really well, but apart from God's blessing, all of it can go away. Apart from God's smile on your business, it will stop. Apart from God's smile on your taste buds, you won't even taste your food. I can't even think, I don't even want to think about that. (laughs) Because, you know, food's one of the great delights of life. And when we go home tonight, don't we like to taste our food? Without God's smile, there's no taste of our food. Without God's smile, the food you eat won't even nourish your body. Without God's benediction. So we have a need to pray. Even when things are good. We are constantly in threatened, uh, threatened at every moment at times. Just like this woman I told you about. We have our fears. And we need to rehearse. Lord I will be afraid apart from you. We need to rehearse what it says in 2 Timothy 1.7. I have not been given a spirit of Fear. I've been given a spirit of power and love and of self-control. When are you and I to cease confessing our sins, and when are you and I to cease our warfare with the world and the flesh and the devil? You know, I remember back in those years, I understood what uh, President Bush was doing when he wrote Mission Accomplished after a certain thing after 2001 and all. But friend, mission not accomplished when it comes to warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. No, 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 no. Mission not accomplished, not until you get to heaven, not until Jesus comes back. So we are always at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you and I, we are to pray not to be led into temptation, and if we find ourselves in temptation, look for the way of escape that's provided, and then get out the door. Leave your cloak in somebody's hand if necessary. We are not to ever seek, uh, stop seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And let me just say that this is the pastor talking now. This is the pastor talking, okay? This is what the Saturday night crowd needs to hear. I mean, the Sunday night crowd needs to hear, okay? This is just in passing. It doesn't have to be nine hours of words. You hear that? It doesn't have to be nine hours of words. Go read 1 Kings chapter 18. There's 450 guys. They pray for nine hours to a God who doesn't exist. Of course, he doesn't answer. He doesn't hear. But they cut themselves and they bleed, almost bleed out, as they pray to the bales. And then we have a man named Elijah who comes up and in, I think, less than 40 words, he prays. And God sends fire down on the offering. Forty words or less. It's not about how many words, it's about how dependent you and I are. It can be, Lord save me, Lord save me, I'm yours. So petition should never cease, and second, praise should never cease. In regard to praise, Calvin writes this, But in the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, there can be no interruption without sin. And that's a powerful statement. There can be no interruption of prayer and praise without Sin, since God does not cease to heap benefits upon you in order to impel you, though we are slow and lazy to be grateful. So just as we're never to cease to pray to God with all our petitions and bring our requests to God, we are also always to bring our thanksgivings to God. What is the will of God? (laughs) For this is the will of God. Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is always giving thanks to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. One of the things I think that's fascinating in the fall of Adam, Adam, he is unfaithful. He eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He eat, He's unfaithful. He's disobedient. One of the things I haven't thought about until I read lately is that he's ungrateful. He had all the trees. Of all the fruit, of all these trees you may eat, but this one, no. But look at all that you've got. And he was ungrateful and he spurned all that God had provided. And what God does when he saves us, he restores to us a heart of gratitude. And so in the... In the Heidelberg Catechism, I believe the outline of the Catechism goes like this: guilt, grace, and gratitude. I've been guilty. I've been saved by grace, and now I have a heart of gratitude. Well, let me uh, let me encourage you. Fuel for prayers of thanksgiving, Lord. If you deliver me, I'll praise you. I'm at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish, and Lord, if you'll if you'll save me out of this fish's gullet. I'll sing a new song in the temple. That's Jonah. Lord, if you, if you save me, if you deliver me, I'll praise you. Lord, if I'm dead, I can't praise you. Have y'all read that one in the Psalms? If I'm dead, I can't praise you. If I'm dead, I can't praise you. No one, Psalm 6, 5, remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? Lord, if you do not save me, if you do not deliver me, if I'm dead, I will not be able to sing a new song. Psalm 124, Lord, I will praise you for defending me. If the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared up against us, then they would have swallowed us. The flood would have engulfed us. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. One more, Psalm 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here we have this. These are extremities. Lord, I'm being driven by these extremities. I've got all these anxieties. I'm going to bring them all to you. But why did you have to throw that f- phrase in there with thanksgiving? Can I be a little grumbly? Can I be just a little complaining? <laughs> can I just be a little upset? Can I blame you for some of this stuff? <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You can you can complain all you want to. You can blame God all you want to. You can tell Him you think it's His fault, but just do it with Him. Go present yourself to Him and don't don't ever stop. Because then, when you're with Him, He's going to work it into you that you begin to pray prayers agreeable to His will. Because that's where it happens. And so in the summer of 1987, Mark Wheat is in his summer semester greek reading class i've taken six hours of greek and i am in a greek reading class and the teacher has assured me that i would be okay i get in there and i realize i'm in a class with guys who had 24 hours of greek and guys who had 16 or more hours of greek and i had six hours of greek And so I find myself for four to six hours translating my Greek assignment of 16 verses every day, (laughs) every day for four to six hours. And man, I was burning the oil and I was agonizing and grueling, but it's one thing to gruel and one thing to agonize. And it's another thing to complain and be sinful in my attitude about it all. And then I came to my next assignment, which was Acts 16. So I put my head down and I began to translate and Paul in Acts chapter sixteen, he cast a spirit out of a slave girl, and and you know, of course, that means that those men who were making money off of her, uh, predicting the future, they got angry. These uh, men seized Paul and Silas, they drugged them before the authorities, and falsely accused them and attacked them and stripped them and beat them, on, beat their backs until they were bloody, and cast them into a prison, and their feet are in stocks. I'm being forced to translate every single word because I don't understand some of the Greek at this point. I'm looking up every single word and finding out what each one of the words means. I get to verse 25. And it says that Paul and Silas, while they're in the stocks, it says they were grumbling and complaining. No, that's not what it says. It says they were praying. Listen to the balance. They were praying and they were singing hymns of praise to God. They were praying and they were praising. And I mean, they didn't have any reason to, <laughs> right? I mean, hey, I'm translating stuff and I'm over here working really hard and I'm just complaining out loud as I can, you know, and sinning against God. And here are men who are in a much bad, much worse situation than me and they are praying and they were singing hymns of praise. And the, what made it worse for me was when I looked at what it meant when, when uh, the word listen, it says the prisoners are listening to them while they're in prison. And this is how they were listening. They were listening like that. That's how Luke was writing that they were listening to, to them. They were listening to them as if they were doctors listening to someone's heart. They had no stethoscopes in those years. But they would listen like they could. They were listening carefully to these men. And don't you know that if, don't you know, there's enough TV shows out there today, you know that people don't sing and pray out loud in prison? More, I don't think they do. This had to be a freak show for guys to be praying out loud and singing hymns when they've been beaten to a pulp. And so I'm convicted, and I'm asking God to forgive me for not praising Him in the midst of this trial. If there's anything I can say to you that I've learned from prayer is that God would have me come to Him with all of my problems, even blaming Him, even being angry and upset with Him. He would have me come before Him and not allow anything to keep me from that place. Even as I translate, or even as you read your Bible, keep reading your Bible. And as you are there, you will find this definition of prayer to start making its way into your heart. God will begin to teach you. He will begin to teach you to offer up prayers according to His desires. He will teach you to pray in Jesus' name. He will teach you to confess your sins. And He will teach you to sing hymns of praise even when things are very difficult. We have an opportunity tonight to participate in the Supper. And Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, he blessed it, and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, take it and eat. He said, this is my blood, take it and drink. And tonight we have an opportunity to remember what he did, the opportunity to preach what Jesus did as we take the bread and the wine. Until he comes, we have an opportunity to commune with him as we eat and drink. We are not to let anything keep us from prayer. And you should not let anything keep you from this supper tonight unnecessarily. You and I, as members of the congregation, as members of a, this church or another church, we are to participate in this meal unless we are sinning in a way that we know we should not. But there's not a better time, friend, if you're having struggles with a sin, there's not a better time than repent of your sin tonight so that you can participate in this meal that you get, this grace that you need to walk with him tonight and the rest of this week. So tonight, let us come. Let us take hold of Jesus by faith. Let's eat and drink to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for time to think about prayer. And Lord, we thank you for this outlet. We thank you for this way to you. We thank you that more for us than for you even. We need this. We need to be able to talk to you. We need to be able to come to you. We praise you for this way, this chief exercise of our faith which is prayer and Lord as we come to you tonight we ask that you would help us examine our hearts turn away from any sin realize that what makes us fit for this meal tonight is not our righteousness but the righteousness of Jesus Christ we pray that as we eat and drink that you will strengthen us make us ready for this next week And Lord, help us to walk with you. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.